Hey friends, we're so glad that you've chosen to tune into this podcast from Revival Fires today. We pray that this message brings you closer to Jesus. We'd love to host you at our regular Sunday morning meetings, 10.30 a.m. in Dudley. Also check out our website for our upcoming events. We look forward to welcoming you to our next event. All right, here we go. Here is the message. So I want to speak a word of hope right into the place you're at. Turn with me, could you, in your Bibles. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 16. And I want to talk from the story of a a young lady by the name of Hagar, an Egyptian lady who was brought into the family of God, brought into the purposes of God by Sarah and by Abram. And their names hadn't been been added the breath of life yet. At this point in the story, when we read in Genesis chapter 16, there was still Sarai and Abram, not Sarah and Abraham. There wasn't yet that breath. This is the point where we get to the story. And there's a few things that I want to bring out before I invite you for ministry today. Because as we talked about that target, there is a a target that God wants to meet in your life even today. And we're going to be praying with you, standing with you, ministering to you. But read with me. Genesis 16. Let's read from verse 3. And I'm going to jump a little bit. But from verse 3 it says, After Abram had, had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to a husband, Abram, as his wife. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. I want you to note, if, you, if, you've got a, if you're a marking kind of person, maybe you've got a pen or a pencil, just underline all the words sight. Because God is a God who sees you. And there's so much sight in this passage alone. So Abram told Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do what is good in your sight. So Sar- Sarai treated her harshly. And she fled from her presence. Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her. I want you to say that word found. God's finding a target this morning. God's finding it right here in our hearts. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. By the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Let's just jump down to verse 13 because the rest is a prophecy specifically for the son. Then she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, I have even remained here alive, having seen him. How is it? There's a question. How is it that I've remained alive and I have seen him? Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. Amen. God is a God who sees me. 
And I want to speak to us. I've, I feel that there's pla- places in our lives where we feel caught in the middle. Hagar was caught here between Sarah and Abraham. She was caught here almost in a domestic dispute between her husband and wife. She found herself caught in the middle. It wasn't her idea to become Abraham's wife. It wasn't her idea to give God a hand at fulfilling the promises upon Abraham's life. It was Sarah's idea. And I think I stopped briefly because I was going to say something, but when, when even you see Sarah in the passage that we read, she's the one who wants to give Hagar to Abraham. And then when, she, when Hagar's pregnant, she's the one who's saying, look what you've done, Abraham. This is your fault. And so here's poor Hagar. She's caught in the middle. She's caught between two identities, the wife of Abraham and the maid of Sarah. She's caught as well between the joy and the conflict. She's She's been brought in, as it were, into this great story of God's provision, of being part of God's patriarchal family. She's brought in to say, come on, you can be part of the family. You were made, but now you're family. And then all of a sudden, she's caught in the middle again. What are the places in our lives where we're caught in the middle? You see, sometimes we can caught between excitement and oppression. We can be caught between exuberance and exhaustion. This is one of the ones... Do we have any mothers in the house today? Anyone ever get caught between exuberance and exhaustion? That's a word from the Lord. I tell you what, I know I'm not a mother, but I found myself caught in that place even last week. Wasn't the conference incredible? Didn't we have such a good time with what the Lord was releasing? And I just want to say this while on the conference. We, we're meeting with the leaders tomorrow, I know Anna announced that, but we're going to be just seeking God as to how we can put some of these steps, these keys, these tools that God's giving us, how to hear His voice, how to hear Him through dreams into the life of the church. But I've just been so um, overwhelmed with exuberance of what God has done in our church, even through the conferences. And it's exuberance is such a, a wonderful thing. You feel the Spirit of God upon you when, you when you're ministering session after session, when you're turning up day after day, when you're showing up to present yourself to the Lord moment by moment. But then something happens on Sunday afternoon. You get home and you realize the tank is empty. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this, this other thing sort of comes, exhaustion. You know, we can find ourselves caught in between the two and I know I'm joking about the conference but even in our daily life when we wake up we we have three incredible kids and I love the family that God's given us and we're full of energy in the morning by the time the nighttime comes and you finally push that last put that last plate in the dishwasher and close the dishwasher it's like I am pooped is that a good word in England I just said is that a good word in England okay sorry exhausted there you go I'm tired I'm very tired I know there's other words I won't use in there but you're like man and and we can find ourselves in the middle and it's in the middle of things that God wants to speak to us it's in the middle of what we're going through that God has got the words of encouragement we can find ourselves sometimes in between the promise and the pain in between the hope and the fulfillment Any of you caught in the middle of that? God's got so much, I've got so much hope for what God wants to do in my life, what God wants to do through my life. But sometimes we can look and say, but there's not enough fruit of that hope just yet. And I'm stuck in the middle between what God has said, what he's promised, and what what I want to see fulfilled. 
the goal and the hard work, the vision and the provision. Oh man, I've got so much vision. I want to see this happen in my life. I want to see this happen in my house. I want to see this is what I'm going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like when I get there. But I need the provision to get there. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in between these two places. Am I speaking to anyone here today? This is a morning where God's going to unstick his people. We can get stuck between being included and being the outcast. This is Hagar's position. You're part of the family. She's now your wife, Abraham. She gets pregnant. What are you doing? Get out of here. I know we shouldn't laugh at that. It's tragic, isn't it? Uh, The dream and the reality. We can be stuck between who God has called me to be and who I am right now. The person God sees and the problem I see. It's great to say, oh, Ryan, you know, God sees me and I can imagine that God sees me this way because his word tells me that. But when I look at myself, how do I see the way God sees? We can get stuck in the middle of these things. We can stuck between, in the distance between the potential and the frustration, between the healing and the sickness, between a rock and a hard place. And I might speak on that next week, between a rock and a hard place. But so often between the faith and the failure. And as I'm just, I'm seeking out all these statements because I want you to identify in your heart an area that God is marking with his target. I, I believe every one of us, there's something that God, we can say, Lord, there's an area where I'm stuck in the middle. There's a place where I'm between two things. And I need you to come and be the God who sees in the midst of this. You see, for Hagar, as we get into the story, it was a locational positional geographical thing that happened she moved out of the place where God called her to be but for some of us we we don't move we continue to dwell in our house that we dwell in most days we continue to get in our car or the bus routes Lord Jesus we speak to bus routes may there be where we're caught in the middle right now of political debates and strikings and People fighting for wages. Lord, would you be the God who brings a solution to that? But we, we could be, yeah, come on. I've talked to so many people in church like, Ryan, I want to come, but I'm going to have to be, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. You know, buses, buses, buses. Lord, would you bring peace into all of that? But what I'm trying to say is that we can, we, we're caught in the middle. And for us, it's not a positional change. We continue our daily routines. Getting in the car, walking to work, catching the bus making the meals, doing our daily, daily routines, but, and nothing changes locationally, but on the inside of our hearts, we're caught in the middle. We can be stuck in between two places, between the faith and the failure, between the future and the past, between the seen and the unseen. And I said for moms specifically, between what we have, this family dream, and then the daily struggles, between what we asked for and now what it's beginning to cost us, the highs and the lows. You know, I've, I've come to realize a high and a low point just this week in my life. So I'm, gosh, I have to say this. I'm turning 40 very, very soon. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm just smiling because I feel like I'm 40, okay? I'm really ready for it. I'm excited about it. There was a guy on the worship team last week. I said, I'm turning 40 soon. I'm really, really t- you know, excited. And he put his hand around my son, Ben, and he said, your dad doesn't look 40. And I thought, man, you're a good friend. He, he looks 50. <laughs> oh, mate. 
you're not playing guitar again, you know, that's it. Well, I'm, I'm feeling really good about it, but here's, here's what I realized. Talk about highs and lows, okay. There was a point when I said this as a kid to my parents. Or oh, let me rephrase that. There was a point when my parents said this to me as a teenager and I didn't believe it. I had no idea that it was true. I thought, oh, that's never possible. But I'm finding myself in exactly the same place now that I have teenage kids. And this is what's happening. They, they find these really cool clothes to wear. And have you noticed that the style is like repeating itself? And so, like, they're wearing these really cool baggy clothes, like tie and dye, like surfer kind of, I'm trying to go a bit baggy myself, surfer, sur- surfer clothes, and, like, you know, they're looking all cool. And I say to them, I used to dress just like that in the 90s. And they look at me like, no, Dad, this is cool. <laughs> there ain't no way you dress cool in the 90s. It was, yeah, and I'm like, no, I was cool, you know. And we have this realization with the highs and the lows. I've now lived old enough to find myself in that position again. Um, and I, I was cool in the 90s. <laughs> but you guys, you guys have taken it to a whole new level of cool. Seriously, youth, come on, give a hand for the youth. Make it look great. There's these times in our lives where, where we find ourselves in the middle. I never realized I'd get there so quick. And I want to just speak to a couple of these things. Um, sometimes we can find ourselves in between the exuberance and the exhaustion. You know, it's in times of exhaustion that our emotions can betray us. It's in times of exhaustion where we can lose almost our internal stability. It's in times of exhaustion where we find ourselves running away from facing difficulties that normally we could totally overcome. Here's Hagar. She's being treated badly, and she finds herself running away. How many of us, you know, we talked about this last week, two weeks ago, if you remember that the graph with justification and sanctification, and God calls us through processes in our lives because he's actually hardwired us for victory. And there's sometimes when we come into these places in the middle that we run away from the very plan that God has in our lives because we might be tired. We run away from the battles that you actually are called to win. You feel empty or depleted. You reach the end of your stamina. We, we can find ourselves caught between the future and the past. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if he's here today, but I want to tell you this story because it brought me so much hope. We were chatting with, with a young man. Uh, he used to live in America and he was saying this story. He got saved in college Gave his life to Jesus, and one of the, the home group leaders, a life group leader, a young guy came up to him and said, you need to buy a Bible. So he went to a, a bookshop, and he bought a Bible, and he was saying to me, Ryan, you know, it was like $30 for a Bible. Like, Bibles are expensive. How many of you guys are reading a Bible on a phone today? Yeah, isn't it so easy? Isn't it so accessible? But sometimes we, we make it almost too familiar and we lose just how valuable the Word of God is and how, how valuable it is. And so, so this guy is a young Christian. He's got this Bible and this, this leader is telling him, you know, start to write in the Word. Write what God is saying when you read the Bible. Just like I said, underline all the words, cite, you know, underline when God's speaking to him. And so he, you know, he writes and he said he pulled out a pencil. And he was doing what the leader was telling him. He was writing in his Bible. And he said, Ryan, I was doing it in pencil. Because in the back of my mind, I was going to rub it out. Take the book back to the bookshop and get my money back. Because it was $30. 
But he didn't. He forgot about that. Life continued. And you know what? He found that Bible 10 years later, going through a difficult situation in his life. He opened the Bible and he started to cry because the words he had written in pencil 10 years ago were the very words that he needed to hear from God in that very moment. I want you to know. Yeah, give God a hand. I could preach from that story. Between your past and your future, God wants to be your very present help in times of need. There are things that you have faced in your past that you want to even forget from your memory. There's things in your past that you think that was just temporary. Don't let the enemy make temporary what God is calling permanent in your life. There are things that you have gone through that is not even today, as God sees you, he is calling it back to your remembrance. As God sees you, he's bringing back into you hope and courage. And even may these words be the hope that you need in order to move on. So for me personally, sometimes I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm finding myself at the moment caught between a couple of things. This is what I'm praying to the Lord. I'm caught between the weight of the hope and the dream that God's put upon our lives, the thing that we're wanting to carry and that God's calling us into. And also my own insufficiencies. My own realizing, God, I can see where you want me to go, but I don't know if I've got what it takes to get there. I don't know if I've got uh, the, the anointing. I don't know. And sometimes we can try and uh, match our lives up to people around us. And I'm in this place as well where I'm also in the middle. And I'm saying, Lord, I need to hear the words that you say to me. I need to see myself the way that you see me. I need to move with you. You see, God doesn't see us the way that the world sees us. I want you to know God is not ashamed of your failures. If we compare just verse 6 in this story, see Abraham said to Sarah, your maidservant is in your sight. You see, the sight that Sarah had for Hagar was disrespectful. The sight that she had for her was, I can't live with her anymore. I need to kick her out. She's put, a, she's put me in a situation. That's how Sarah saw her. And that's often how the world can see us. But God doesn't see you the way the world sees. See, when God looked at Hagar, what was the words that he said to her? Let me read them because they're so good. Return to your mistress. Moreover, I will greatly multiply your descendants and I will make them a nation too. And we can think, but the, if the world... If, if only um, they knew how I see myself, but God doesn't see you that way. God doesn't look at that. See, God always looks at us with love. He's never ashamed of us. When God sees at us, he provides even for your failure. There was a place that Hagar came. It was the well of the living one. This word, God sees you, it's also used for Abraham when he has been called by the Lord to offer his son Isaac. You all know the story, don't you? And, and as you follow the story through, he takes Isaac and he's going to go and sacrifice him. And it's really a, a story of what God the Father is going to do through Jesus Christ. That's why it's there in the Bible. It's there to test his faith as well. But all of this is to mirror what God is saying. And the word there, when Hagar says, you are a God who sees, that same word is used here to Abraham. And Abraham, God calls Abraham. He says, look up, lift up your eyes. Look around you and see there is a lamb in the thicket. I want you to know when we talk about the God who sees you, he sees you not the way the world sees you. He sees you, praise the Lord, not even the way that we see ourselves. But his sight also begins to see and to show you the provision that he has planned for our lives. He is the one who 
sees our trials and he knows us. He is the one, um, he w- it was the very harsh treatment and the oppression and the affliction upon Hagar that made God see her. I don't know all the things that you're going through when you're in the middle, but I really want to speak this over you. If you are going through times of oppression, don't give up. God sees you. If you're going through difficult times, I don't know what your workplace environment is like, but let's be honest, it's not always good. God sees your oppression. If you're going through difficulties in relationships, God sees it. You see, so often we want to hide those things from our closest relationship. So often we can be even ashamed that we don't have all of our life together. We don't have all of our life ready to present. And we think, but Lord, if if you were to see some of my failures and some of my frustrations, maybe that wouldn't even be the best representation of what it means to be a Christian to the world around us. Well, I've got good news for you. Being a Christian doesn't mean you have to have everything together. It just means that you have to surrender that to Jesus. And even in times and places of oppression, God sees you. It's the oppression that actually causes God's eye to look upon you. It's the same word that's used when God speaks to Moses in the future from the story and says, I have seen the hardship of my people Israel. It's the same word that God calls to uh, Jacob's wife Leah when she's also an oppressed and God says I have seen your oppression you know I want you to know that even what you're going through right now it's attracting the eye of God upon your life do you remember that target right now I want to release he is the God who sees he is the defender of the weak he is the one who lifts up your head he is the father to the fatherless he is the one who rescues the afflicted he is the healer of the broken And even in the things that we're going through, Lord, help us look again at the places of pain with hope. Would you come and look upon them in our lives? When God sees us, he recognizes the potential. I want to, for a brief throughout this message, I want to do a little bit of a comparison between Hagar and David. Why David? Because Dave, the same word see is used when Samuel the prophet comes to call David, comes to anoint David as the next king over the, the people of Israel. And the Bible says this about him. God said this to Samuel. You see, God sees not as man sees. Amen. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And here is Hagar running away, and God sees. And here is David. He was forgotten. The father had brought all the seven sons before David. And the prophet even has to say to Jess, David's father, surely you have another son. God said no to every single one of these. I mean, that's obedience, isn't it, from the prophet? Just to keep listening to what the Lord says. I'd be thinking, man, surely this guy's going to be running out of sons soon. See that I've got it wrong or God's not speaking to me, you know, and... And he says, don't you have another son? Can you imagine the embarrassment? I do have another son, but I didn't bring him here because he didn't qualify. Can you imagine not qualifying, even in the eyes of your father, to be represented? Talk about being caught in the middle. So often we have been disqualified by the attacks of the enemy that we count ourselves out. Or so often we've been disqualified by the way we look at ourselves, that we don't even show up. When God's saying, I've called you to show up in your family. I've called you to show up in the place of your work. I've called you to show up. I'm going to put my presence upon you. But we disqualify ourselves. But God says to Samuel the prophet, to Samuel, he was called a seer. I do not look 
at the outward appearance. I do not see the way men sees, but I see the heart. God sees you today. Even over any areas where we felt that we've been disqualified. Lord, would you break that off? We thank you that your sight for us begins to provide our future. Your sight for us begins to provide us hope. I thank you that when we see you, we can present ourselves to the Lord. That word see as well, and I'm going to just give you some things here because I want you to grasp what God sees when he sees you. It's the same word that God uses of himself in creation. Think about the story of creation. Genesis chapter 1. The Lord made the light and he saw that it was good. What was the first thing that God saw in the Bible? The first recorded sight of God. It was light. I want you to know when God sees you, what God sees, he sees the light. He doesn't just see the darkness. He sees the potential. He sees the hope. He sees the future. But God, when he looks at us, he is coming down to inspect us. And we can say, Father God, would you inspect my life? I don't want to be in hiding anymore. I don't want to be in running. I want to bring myself to a place where you can inspect me. It's the same word David used in Psalm 139 investigate my life search me out find any offensive way in there would you come and see me lord jesus would you inspect me it's the same word that's used for the appearing and i love this because god sees us but then he wants us to see him he comes and he wants to appear to us so, Father, would you come and search us out? We, we know that we don't see the way the world sees. We know that we can present ourselves to you. Would you investigate us? Would you find us out? Any areas where we've been running, we run back to you, God. We thank you that the world wants to expose, but you want to find. That word that's used in Genesis 16 is found. Verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her. We have been found today by the eyes of the, of the Lord. And I just want to listen to this about the angel of the Lord. It's the first time in the Bible that the angel of the Lord appears. Now, it's, this is called the theophany. A little bit of teaching, but it's really, really good because I ask myself this question. Why now, God? Why now does, do you choose to reveal yourself to Hagar as the angel of the Lord? You see, God's spoken throughout the book so far to, to Abraham. He's spoken to Noah. He's spoken to um, Adam and Eve. He's spoken to so many of, of the people in the Bible. And he speaks to them through dreams. He speaks to them through visions. He comes to them as God the Father. But it's at this point that he comes as the angel of the Lord. Do you know what the angel of the Lord is? A theophany? It's the pre-incarnate Jesus coming to meet people. It's, it's, the, it's the spirit of God, the word, but not quite made flesh yet. It's the angel of the Lord. It's Jesus as an angel. It's quite incredible. And there's many, many things that make it this. It has the full authority and character of God. He identifies as God in all the theophanies throughout the scripture. He knows the secret things of God. You see, other angels will come, and I talked just jokingly about Mary at the start of this meeting. When, when Gabriel came to Mary, Gabriel said, God will do this to you. God will do this. But you see here, whenever the angel of the Lord comes, he says, I will do this. So the Bible calls it an angel, but let me tell you, it's not just an angel. It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ coming and meeting with his people. 
because he says, I will do this. And he is revealed to mankind. He works miracles. He works wonders. He receives worship. Everywhere else in the Bible, when an angel turns up, you see it in Revelation, when John falls down and wants to worship the angel, what does the angel say? Uh-uh, uh-uh. He says, no, don't do that. Don't worship me. Worship God. But here we see people worshiping the angel of the Lord. Why? Because it's a theophany. It's Jesus himself showing up. So here's the question I find myself asking of God. Why now? Why, God, did you choose to reveal yourself as the pre-incarnate Christ to Hagar? Surely you would have done it for Abram before. Surely you would have done it for Sarah. Surely you would have done it for, for Noah when he built the ark. And God said this. Ryan, because wherever there's an error, whenever there's a mistake, whenever there's been failure, I am a God who redeems. And Jesus comes as the pre-incarnate and he turns up in the life of Hagar because he wants to redeem the situation. Praise you, Jesus, that you are a God of redemption. You are God who wants to step into whatever failures you think you're going through, and He wants to redeem. He wants to step into whatever oppressions, difficulties, and trials even that you're walking through, and He wants to redeem. Just say, Jesus, step into my life. I thank you, God, that you don't have to say this, but I'm saying this. God, step into our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you are stepping into places that need redemption, that there is no place too far away from you. There is no place too too, uh, surprising for you because you are the one who steps in. And so God, he doesn't turn away from our mistakes. He doesn't, your failures haven't disqualified you. The only thing that could disqualify you is disobedience. And he steps in and he writes a redemption story. But what redemption stories are you going to write in our lives today? I'm speaking this one out. There's something today about healing. There's a redemption story of healing even in this building today because we showed up. We say, God, I see that you're a God of healing and you see me and I'm standing in faith. Where there's been stories of cancer, where there's been diagnoses of death, we're speaking a redemptive story in people's lives today. Healing in the name of Jesus. Would you do that, Lord? I have faith for that, friends. Do you have faith for that? See, the God who sees, I just want to talk about our God. He knows just what to ask, just what to say. You know, God's questions, they're nothing like the children's questions. All those when we're in the, in the car in the journey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And all the questions, where's the food? I'm still hungry. Have you seen my shoes? Have you washed my clothes? All the questions that the kids ask. And sometimes we can find ourselves, I mean, well, I'll just be honest, Anna and I can find ourselves at the end of a day and you, you know, you're just starting to rest and it's like, dad, dad. And everything is me like, Lord, I need to be a father, but I don't think I can have another question. Mom, mom. And it's just like, Ryan, you're on shift now, you know. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? And sometimes when we start talking about questions, you see, God, what does he do? The one who redeems, the one who sees when he shows up here for Hagar, what's the first thing he says? He asks questions. And we can look at that and think, God, man, I've just had kind of like enough questions at the moment. But God asks just the right questions. God knows what questions your heart needs. And why does God ask questions? We see it throughout the Bible. I could talk about Adam and Eve. You know, the first question that the Bible, the Bible records is God talking to Adam and Eve. Where are you? What have you done? God asks questions. He asks questions of, of Abel and Cain after there was that tragedy with the brothers. He says, where is your brother? 
God asks questions. We, we can go through Samuel, the way we talk about Samuel and David. He asks questions. We can look at Jesus and the disciples, all of the questions. Why does God ask questions? Well, we know it's got nothing to do with him not knowing the answers. But let me tell you this. The reason God wants to ask a question is he wants us to begin to see what he sees. And the way that he does it is by asking a question. You see, he begins to put an internal pressure on the inside of us rather than all the external pressures. We live in, this, in our society under so much pressure. Someone's external pressure. Pressures from your employment. Pressures from the land we live in. Pressures from the rules. Pressures from finance. All these kind of pressures that we live underneath. And sometimes it keeps us in that place in the middle. But when God comes, he wants to ask a question right into your heart. And he knows the right questions to ask. I want to T.D. Jakes, I'm going to acknowledge him because he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time for me, one of the good preachers. He said this, sometimes your enemy is your enemy. I want to say that again. Sometimes our enemy is our enemy. You see, what are the things that we can be battling against? Yes, we battle against flesh and blood, but we also battle against powers and principalities. Are those something we can see? Not all the time. We battle against our thoughts, the way we think about ourselves. If you only saw me the way I see myself, we battle against these belief systems. What's a system? It's something that's invisible. It's something that's unseen. And it's a culture, but it's, a, it's directing the decisions that we make. And we battle against all these things that are not seen. But I want you to know God sees them. God sees the systems that are directing our thoughts. And he asks questions. Because he wants you to see them. You see, the reason God asks us questions, he wants to take that which is unseen and he wants to make it seen. He wants to take that which is invisible, where we feel like, I don't know how I can change this. I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know why I'm going through this. He asks questions because he says, don't worry, my son. Don't worry, my daughter. I am the God who sees. I see what you're in. I see what's holding you back. I see why it's feeling like that. And I'm going to ask you questions because I want to unveil it. But what's more than that, I want you to begin to see the way that I see. I want you to realize what you think. I am the one who is a wonderful counselor. And I want to give you space to respond. And this is one of the, some really, really great insight, even when we're dealing with situations, if I can give you this, when we're going through difficult, difficult situations, so often we want to come and we want to start accusing. What is the Bible called the enemy? Not just the inner me, but our enemy. He's the voice of the accuser. And often we can go into situations and begin to accuse. We accuse ourselves. Why did you do that? Why did you act like that? We can begin to accuse uh, people in our lives. When you did this, I was upset. Why did you say that? And we can be the voice of the accuser. God never comes in his questions to mankind with the voice of the accuser. He comes and he says, where are you? What does he say to Hagar? Where you come from? Where are you going? You're caught in the middle, Hagar, but he needed Hagar to recognize that. Where have you come from? Where are you going? He asks questions. But then comes the instructions. He tells her, go back to your master, sub submit to her, submit to her authority. So often we think, God, give me your instruction. God, tell me what to do. And God says, did you miss my question? 
God's order is he wants to question first because he wants you to see how he sees. Once you see how God sees, then you can receive the instruction. So often we think, but if, I, if God, if you just told me what to do in this situation, here's what happens. If we had God's instruction without God's insight, we probably wouldn't do what he's saying because we're not seeing the way he's seeing. Are you getting this? If you're crying out for God's instruction, I want to ask you, when was the last time you recognized the question that he asked in your life? As I was seeing this in the Bible doing this week, I thought, Lord, this is amazing. What were the last questions you asked of me? And I want to tell you them, okay, because this is me being real with you. But also this can begin to unlock something. The last question he asked of me was in January. And we're talking about the wells and we're talking about the seed. And he said to me, Ryan, ask me for seed. And in that moment, do you know what I realized? As good as that sounded that he said to me, as much as it ministered to me, I mean, how many messages have, we, have I even preached? Okay, being really honest. How many messages have I even preached since then? Probably three. And God said, Ryan, ask me for seed. And I've said, we're gonna, this is going to be a season where we're going to ask for seed in our lives. And I realized when God said to me, you're waiting for my instruction, what was the last question I asked? you asked of me? That even though he told me to ask him for seed, I haven't yet asked him for seed. Why not? Because I've been then thinking, okay, God, what is the seed? What does the seed look like? And uh, am I the seed? Is the seed going to be new salvations? Is the seed going to be miracles? And I'm like trying to process the request that God's asked of me to ask of him intellectually. And then I'm trying to say, Lord, how, how am I going to preach that? What is that going to look like? I'm then trying to process what God's telling me to do. Ask of me. He's saying, what is the last question I asked of you? And I just was overwhelmed with this sort of childlike joy sat at my dining room table thinking, okay, God, I'm sorry, I haven't asked. And I just said, give me seed. Lord, give me seed in my life. And do you know what? There's something about the obedience. I want to tell you another one, the last thing God asked us. This is both Anna and I, beginning of, um, it was last year, 2022. It's funny when you get up here preaching, like last year, when was last year? I can't even remember. What year are we in? 23, okay, 22. <laughs> God was asking us personally, I'll tell you the details, it was in a dream, and, and the Ancient of Days turned up and said, what's your five-year plan? And we woke up from the dream, and it happened a couple weeks later, what's your five-year plan? It was like, it was like this, this lovely old loving man, and we, we thought it was like the Ancient of Days, he was coming to our house, and he had a rucksack, it wasn't Father Christmas, okay, but it was like, kind of felt like that. He had a rucksack full of gifts and he was like, I've got something for you, but what's your five-year plan? And this wasn't, let me tell you this, this wasn't like a corporate five-year plan. This wasn't like a five-year plan to see so-and-so happen. It was just like, what's your plan, Ryan? What do you want to do? And, and he gave us that dream twice. And Anna said, Ryan, we better write down our five-year plan. But what is it about us as human beings? God asks us something and we don't answer the question. We're like, discussing the dream oh that was a great dream you know but we didn't do what he was asking us and then he gave us the dream again and it was like this 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 um fatherly authority severity like you better ask because i'm passing by and the next morning we both got our journals out and we wrote down our five-year plan let me tell you what happened that very next week things begin to shift in our lives like things that we were waiting for 15 years to fall into place fell into place in our lives and I'm like thinking, God, we've made it so complicated. He says, 
He asks us questions. What do you want? What's your five-year plan? Ask me for the seed. And I don't even ask him for it. Why? Because I'm intellectualizing things. I'm thinking, how's this going to work out? You know what, friends? Answer the question God's asking you. We say, Lord, I want instruction. Answer the question. So often, even when I'm going through items, items, times when I'm frustrated, you know, I'll get back in the light. There you go. Is that better? Come on, we, we're all for us. We can go through things in our lives and I'm frustrated. And, and the more, more I think about what's making me frustrated, the more angry I get and the more it gets difficult. But I just know, God, when I stop and I turn to my Bible, let me rephrase that. When my wife, who's so good, says, Ryan, you need to go find out what God's saying about this. And I get into that place and God says, and he just asks a question and always his questions get right to the heart of what I'm feeling like that. Why are you feeling like that? What's going on? And begins to see, I begin to see, not with the eyes of what I'm going through, but with the eyes of Christ. So what questions is God asking you? Because he is the God who sees you. Is this making sense? Are you ready to go out of here today and answer some of those questions? I'm, I'm sensing that there's some questions that God has asked of you. He wants you to know, what are you believing for? I, I believe God has asked you some questions. Do you believe that you can achieve the dream that I've called you to? He's asked you some questions about I'm going on about healing because I feel it in the room this morning. I feel that there's healing. Do you have faith that I, do you believe that I can do what I've said? Do you believe that I can do what I said? And sometimes we think, well, I do believe, but you know, it hasn't happened yet and there's no fruit. And God's like, I'm not asking about fruit. I'm asking, do you believe? Yes, I believe. I believe, Lord Jesus. Do you believe that you're strong enough to come out of that situation that you're going through? But God, I don't know. I'm, I'm staying in the situation because it's, it's, it's a little bit of a support structure and maybe it's good. Maybe it's what I need. And God's saying, no, do you believe that you're strong enough? Because you're strong enough. There's some questions that God's asking us. And I'm telling you, we're going to begin to see the page turned in our lives when we say, yes, God. So to Hagar, where have you come from? Where are you going? He meets us right here in the middle. He's the God who sees and he gives us strength and he gives us hope. He gives us a purpose for what we're going through. And I'm, I'm nearly done, but I, wanted, I think I'm going to end with this. One of, one of the purposes that God has for you in the middle of what you're going through is he wants to give you kingdom influence. He wants to give you godly influence. Okay, He wants to give you authority and he wants to release a, an anointing upon your life. But here's what I realized. We, we can sometimes have the wrong idea of the word influence. Say influence. I think you're, you're listening to me. That's why you're quiet, which is good. I feel like a hush. And it's good. I can handle that. There's an influence that we have the wrong idea of influence. We think that, God, God, you called me to, to influence. This happened to me just a couple, couple months ago. I think it was specifically with sort of social media. Let me tell you, I love social media, okay? I'm not knocking on it. It's good. But what can happen is that we can get this idea of like, I have real influence if all these people follow me. Or I have real influence if, you know, people start doing what I want to do. And that's not the kind of influence God's calling you to. You see, that kind of influence is really just a trend. And trends, they come and they go. God hasn't put you in this building today. God hasn't put you in your family. God hasn't put you in your workplace just to be a trendsetter. Let me tell you, God has put you there because he's given you authority to really change situations.
And sometimes we can think this idea of influence, this kind of like, well, it's going viral. Let me just remind you that viral is just an infection. And God doesn't want us to just be infections that happen. God wants you to have kingdom influence. And the how do we get kingdom influence? I'll tell you this. God hasn't called you for influence. He's called you for number one, relationship. And number two, authority. Ryan, where'd you get that from? What was, the ne- what was the answer to the question to Haggai? Where have you come from? Where are you going? Then comes the instruction and he says, go back to Sarah, relationship, and submit to her authority. I want you to know what you're going through right now is going to have no fruit in your life until you realize what are the relationships that God is calling me to and what is the authority that he wants to bring in our life. Let me say, are you getting this? Can you, can, you, can you grab this? I want you to be a people of kingdom influence. I don't want you to be a people of just infectious uh, infections. I don't want you just to be trendy people. God's not calling you to set up a trend. He's calling us to revival. He's calling us to a lifestyle. Let me show you this even in the life of David. You see, no one saw what was on David's life. His father didn't see it. His brothers didn't see it. King Saul didn't see it when David went to fight Goliath. He's like turning up. I I can take this giant. No ways. You're a shepherd boy. You don't even have armor. Where's your sword, mate? You've got this little strap of leather. Is that your jock strap? I mean, what's going on? No one saw what God saw in his life. And he said, I know I can do it because I faced the bears. You see, the things that you wrote in the Bible with pencil all those years ago, your history with God. I know where, where have you come from? I know where I've come from. I know where I've come. I haven't just come from nowhere. God's God brought me from somewhere and he's taking me somewhere, brought me from somewhere and he's taking me also to somewhere. And no one really recognized David and the kingdom that God wanted to give him then tried to kill him. And he had to run away and he had to hide. And he's hiding in this place called the Dullam. He's running. He's in the, talk about being in the middle. Talk about being in the middle of, of a rock and a hard place. Talk about being in a place of running. He's here in the middle of the cave of Adullam. And the why is God taking him through this? And I'll tell it to you. And it's from 1 Samuel 22. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. 1 Samuel 22 verse 2. And it says that God brought to David those who were distressed, those who were in debt, those who were disconnected, and they gathered to David and made him their leader. I want you to know the very thing that you're caught in the middle of, God is going to turn it around because he's giving you an experience that other people can begin to relate to. What you're going through all of a sudden is going to give you a relatability that other people can relate to. To you. See, God's not calling us just to influence. He's calling us to relationship. And from relationship comes authority. The first relationship is first and foremost with Him. He is the King. He is the, the King of the universe, the head of the church, the one who is above all. There is nothing above Him. Everything is under Him. And when we relate to Him, we have full authority. But what you're going through is because God wants to begin to make you identifiable. People can look at you and say, I see what you're going through. I need what you've got in your life because you went through it. All of a sudden, and I love it in preachers, you know, we can do this like D, 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 D. It's right here in 1 Samuel 22. The distressed, those in debt, the discontented, God brought them. And what did he do with those who are going through their own middle seasons in their life? He made them a powerful army. That is what God, the authority that God wants to give us. And so when we see the way God sees us, we then begin to see what we're going through even in a different light. Say this with me. God sees me. 
God is beginning to open your eyes to see the way that he sees. And then he begins to change that we see. You see, God's sight now gives us insight. God changed the way that Haggai was even seeing Sarah by those instructions that he gave her. Go back. This is the place you're meant to be. This is the alignment I've called to you. This is the place of relationship and authority. And she went back. And this revelation that she had of God gave her a name that she called on God. You are the God who sees me. I don't know what you're in the middle of, but we're all in the middle of something. And I want you to begin to call on the name of God in what you're going through. Because he is going to turn us around. There is going to be such a kingdom influence that comes upon your life through what you're going through. There is going to be such a turnaround, such a returning of things that needed to get unstuck. It's time for us to return. It's time for us to present ourselves before the Lord. I want to invite you. Jude's going to come up and I think we just need to sing that song again. God, you're so good. Isn't he good? Why don't you just stand up with me? I want to release something over you. I want to invite ministry team, come to the front as well. Because there's a moment. It says in Genesis 16, Hagar says that this was the place of the well. You are a God who sees. And here she was at the living water. And she named it the well of the living one who sees. Ministry team, come forward. Come stand with me at the front here. I want us to do something today. I want us to make this place a well today. If you've been going through situations and you're just saying, Lord, do you see? I feel so unseen. I feel so un recognized I feel so if anyone was to see and know what I was going through maybe I could have some encouragement maybe I could be recognized if you're going through that we want to lay hands on you because God is the God who sees if you felt that you've disqualified yourself that there's things in your life that you think there's no way I can do that because we see ourselves the way the enemy sees us we've been seeing ourselves as the enemy rather than the eyes of God I want you to come and we want to pray for you because God is going to make this right here at the front a well of his presence. There's a well here today. There's a place where we can step into. There's a place of returning where hope can return into our lives. There's a place where we've been running and we say, Jesus, I'm not going to run anymore. Lord, the places where we're caught in the middle, would you come and unstick us right now? God sees me. I know I'm accepted. His sight gives me insight. Release me from oppression. I'm getting unstuck. I'm growing in relationship. I'm growing in authority. God is giving me influence because God sees me. Amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected, be resourced and equipped by subscribing to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, and following us on social media at Revival Fires on Instagram and Facebook. If you've been impacted by this ministry, why don't you consider investing and sowing a gift? Visit our website for details on how to give.